What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Tuesday, January 16th, 2022. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, I don't want to do any introductions. We're going to dive right into it here. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for a time breakdowns in the description of the show. Yes, we are recording Monday night, 8 o'clock, fresh off a Buffalo Bills victory because of Snowmageddon that pushed the game to Monday instead of our beloved Sunday at 1 o'clock game. So, our normal Monday episode is coming out on Tuesday. That's going to have to happen again next week because they play Sunday at 6.30 and we're not recording at 10 o'clock at night. So, Phil, Bills win, took care of business against the Steelers, 31-17. to Just wrapped up probably about, what, 20 minutes ago. What is your rapid reaction on advancing to the next round to host the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, first off, I think you mean the Bills' backups uh, won the game. On defense, yeah, it was pre on, on pre defense. uh, it was a preseason lineup they were tossing out there for the defensive My side of the ball. Goodness, I know we talked about the Steelers not having the best offense out there, and we will get to the Bills' offense that looked good and bad all at the same time. But for the defense, I just like every single name that kept coming up that was a player going down was just gut wrenching pretty much every time. I mean. To finish the game and your top four tacklers to finish were A.J. Klein with 11, uh, Williams with eight, and then Elam was fourth on the team with five. Not what you expected coming into this game at all. Um, The fact that those players had to go out there, step up as much as they did, and play as well as they did, especially... I know you and I have our issues with Elam, and when he had that first major pass interference call, I was like, okay, so they're just going to target him the entire game. He's not going to do very well, and here we go. And then he had that incredible interception to make up for the bad pass interference call, and then that eventually led to Josh Allen's massive touchdown. So overall, I mean, the, the defense to me is once again the story of the game. I know, again, the Steelers' offense isn't potent, isn't that exciting, so even for your backups, backups, backups to hold on. It's not really thrilling for the defense, but still absolutely incredible that the defense and the players that they continue to throw out there, the players that continue to step up to be able to hold the Steelers to just 17. I mean, the original 21 that the Bills had were enough for victory, even though it got a little scary at times toward the end of the game there. But the fact that they were still able to hold in the 17, still came up with massive stops, massive plays, and to like just keep them under even 21 is just insane for what this defense has been through and continues to go through week in and week out. They just continue to lose big name after big name. And like just when you think they don't have any big names left to lose, they lose another big name. It's just insane what this defense has been able to accomplish this year. Yeah, we can go over the injuries first. I mean, you came into the game, you weren't, you, you didn't have Tredavious White, who's been out for the longest time. You haven't had. Uh, Matt Milano, who has been out for the longest time. And then you had uh, Taylor Rapp. He was ruled out a while ago. But then you had um, uh, Tyrell Dodson and uh, Douglas both ruled out, uh, you know, 90 minutes before the game when the lineup came out. So they were already going to be shorthanded. And then throughout the game, you had Benford go out after the first quarter. You had Bernard go down in a a weird play that ended up being his ankle. Specter went down because of a back injury. And then uh, Teron Johnson went out because of a concussion. So you, you lost your starting uh, slot corner. Then you lost your, what, fourth string uh, um, uh, linebacker. You lost your starting linebacker. You lost, you know, uh, your, your opposite starting cornerback who was filling in for Douglas. It was just, it was a nightmare of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And once again, Sean McDermott, uh, the what he is cooking up to play the defensive side of the ball is unbelievable. And he has gotten a ton of criticism nationally he's gotten a ton of criticism locally and a ton of criticism on this show and all of it has been rightly deserved in my opinion but as of recent on this you know what six game winning streak they're on right now he has been unbelievable coaching up this defensive side of the ball with the amount of injuries he has been 
you know, withstanding. They pulled AJ Klein off the street, and you got Dorian <laughs> Williams, who has been in and out of the in and out of snaps recently, and I shouldn't say recently, throughout the entire year as a third round rookie who they haven't trusted enough to get snaps and having to be relied upon pretty much the whole second half to fill in for Bernard, who went down. This we we could talk about later down the road on the next show. My feeling and talking about this game right now is just what they were able to withstand with the injuries that kept mounting. You had to have Cam Lewis come in. You had to have, we were wondering, okay, is Jordan Poyer going to start playing a little bit more linebacker? But then you remembered, okay, Taylor Rapp's out, so you're going to have to rely on DeMar, uh, DeMar Hamlin to come in. And they, they didn't end up doing that. They just relied on the two safeties to play back door. But it, it was unbelievable the coach job that he was able to do. And yes, Pittsburgh doesn't have the best offense, but it's still the NFL. And they still... Right were within seven points at one point. I think when Buffalo went up 21 nothing, where Josh Allen had that 52-yard run, I tweeted out that Chiefs should start getting their uh, plane tickets ready because they're coming to Buffalo. And then they cut to 24-17, to and I went, oh, man, is old takes exposed going to get us? Yeah, this, this game, I mean, I honestly nervous i guess would be the best way but i wasn't scared um even as it got closer and closer the game like you just kind of it seemed like because allen got up so early so quickly or at least the offense did in general it seemed like he almost they sat back i mean i know there were some you know some mishaps and things like that that kind of caused them to not play quite as well as you would hope and continue to rack up the points but for the most part it seemed like they just kind of started sitting back a little bit too much and they just got a little bit too complacent with their big lead and then it was I forgot which run it was specifically but I think it was on one of their last touchdown drives where Allen ended up doing just a 10 yard like QB sneak and you could see that once he got hit again once he had that big 10 yard play like he was back into it like it was almost like the lead was too big for him and he was too calm and just relaxed and like, Oh, we're just going to walk to a victory. And as soon as it got a little bit closer and they needed him to step up again. And he had that big run to earn a first down, got tackled. You can see like he popped up, had his swagger right back into it. Like it's almost like you just snap back into the game and it was like, all right, yeah, let's, uh, let's put this game away and let's take care of business. And then that's exactly what they did. But I think they just got a almost too early too quickly like too large of a lead too quickly where they just I don't think they meant to take the the gas off the off the oh my gosh foot off the pedal but I think they just kind of got like lulled a little bit until it got too close and then all of a sudden they seemed to punch it back into gear and then close the game out yeah it would have been very interesting to see because I mean it was fourth and seven and we're sitting in the living room right before they had attempted at the, uh, the field goal and I believe Tony Romo was saying hey you want to run this ball to get it down to the two minute warning but you know you, you, they were even going to the wind there and I'm I'm sitting there watching the game with the dogs and Brooke and just going I would honestly go for it here because of the wind and they didn't and the block field goal and it goes all the way down to the Bills 33 and then that kind of was the momentum shift if you want to call it for Pittsburgh to kind of get back in the game Buffalo weren't able to really do anything with that last drive to try to double dip thank you Mike Tomlin for being a complete <laughs> joke and I, I I me and my brother have the new bet now because John wouldn't take it I gave Corey a thousand and one odds that Mike Tomlin would never win another Super Bowl because of coaching decisions like that where it's 21 to seven you're facing a team like the Buffalo Bills you're trying to upset them in the cold in the playoffs here there was a major sack for like second and 17. He has all of his timeouts. I think he had all his timeouts. Maybe he only had two. two. Yeah. It, either way, why don't you call a timeout there? Because your punt, the opponent, opponent's punter just pulled his hamstring running down that blocked field goal. Who knows if he would have been able to punt it. He punted one more time and it was a really good punt. But still... That's the time you call a timeout and try to swing the momentum still in your favor. It's just he was playing not to lose. It was the old where we were making where we were going after Sean McDermott, where he was playing not to lose rather than play to win. That's exactly what Mike Tomlin has been doing for the longest time. And somebody put out a, a tweet. Twenty-three NFL football NFL teams have a playoff win since the last Pittsburgh Steelers win. And that is kind of who you were going up against. And that, that I would have been interested to see if Steelers would have called the time out there, second and 17, if they would have gotten the ball back, kick field goal, and it was 21 to 10 going into half, what would have happened on that first drive out? Because, you know, Buffalo three and out, 
Jawson Knox, massive drop again. I think they got to start leaning away from him, and they, I think they did that towards the rest of the game after that big drop. But uh, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if if Mike Tomlin would have called that other timeout to try to get the ball back you know, with the wind at your back because that field goal would have been easier for them if they would have gotten in field goal range. Yeah, we can switch to the offense. It was a very good and very kind of strange game at the same time. I mean, Allen... First time in a long time that he hasn't had an interception or any turnover at all. So that was really impressive for him. But also, I'm just kind of, I really hate that stat that they just keep pumping that up. It's like the only way they have to really knock down Allen and his abilities is to just keep throwing the amount of interceptions and turnovers he causes in his face. And this one, he finally went flawless for the first time in a long time. They put up 31 points. Overall, I mean, capitalizing off the turnovers was huge. That 21 nothing lead you built up early ended up pretty much being what won you the game. But it was just, I, I don't know, it was weird. Like They seemed to have success at times and then stall. And then for the most part, it seemed like a lot of their offense came on really big plays. Like just giant chunk plays or really impressive hustle plays like the... Shakir touchdown at the end there was just absolutely incredible for him to somehow maintain his balance, stay on his feet, and then run it all the way to the end zone to end the game. But the Kincaid touchdown, just, I mean, that's a heck of a call by Brady, that seam route to just dial it up, and then heck of a throw by Allen, and then Josh Allen's 50-yard run, they just another ridiculous play by him, and just an incredible touchdown. But, like, outside of the big plays that they had, I feel like it was really well designed at times. And then other times it seemed like they were just running the ball up the middle to kind of wind the clock down because they had such a big lead. So they kind of just, again, it seemed like one of those games where you have the opportunity and ability to continue to rack up the points. And instead you start to just play it a little bit too safe and then get caught up in your own game. And then toward the end had to turn it back on to punch it in. But like overall the offense looked good, but not, I don't know, not like in, incredible. There were just moments where you wanted more from them or just wanted them to really finish the game earlier. But overall, they looked quite good for what they were able to do. Yeah, I mean, once they went up 21 nothing, you were like, okay, keep the foot on the gas. I mean, they scored with seven minutes left in the second quarter. You were like, okay, this is the time to really go out and, and end it. And I think with that field goal, if it wasn't blocked and they would have been up 24 nothing it might have been a bigger blowout. Yep, that's true. I, 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 this kind of reminded me of like the Tampa Bay Bucks game earlier in the year where Buffalo built out that lead and then Tampa Bay just kept chipping away at it and it ended up being what, like a two-point victory for Buffalo where Godwin didn't turn around and catch that touchdown. <laughs> but it was the second half, really, where the offense, they were just, they came up huge when they needed to. And Buffalo, that first three and out, you know, Pittsburgh goes down, scores a field goal, you know, 21-10. But then it was a 7-minute, 18-second field goal drive for Buffalo. Yes, 14 plays, 48 yards. Not ideal, but to go back up and pretty much kill the time when you know Pittsburgh got the ball back, it was a minute 32 left in the third quarter. You, there was no way that Buffalo was – I mean, no, the injuries were stacking up, but it almost felt like once you did that, it was almost out of reach because you were back up two full touchdowns. Yes, you know – Pittsburgh went down and scored another touchdown, but it took them six more minutes off the clock where Buffalo got the ball back with 1032 left. And, you know, then it was the Shakir touchdown where you got the ball back up seven. We pretty much, I think collectively as, as Buffalo fans went, you go down there and score a touchdown, the game's over. And Shakir, the, not only to stay on his feet, but did you see the juke move he pulled to get it was unbelievable just shook him out of his shoes and i was seeing so many like shakira uh gifts online (laughs) and on twitter just you know the way he moved his hips there (laughs) it was unbelievable the play he made and to go back to the offense like you were saying the biggest key in this one is you were getting big plays from depth pieces where you weren't having to rely on digs. And this has been the case for a while now where, you know, Cook had a good game. He, he went, uh, let me pull this up. He went 18 for 79, which isn't great, but you're relying on him in the ground game. Kincaid was one, you know, uh, Robert's hand away from another oh big touchdown, God. but he went three for 59 with one. Play. Unbelievable how to catch up on that one. And then Shakir, three for 31 for with one touchdown. It wasn't the numbers on the offense aren't backing up just how good of a game 
they could have there were just small miscues that kind of like yep. slowed everything down it was more like in the second half it was long sustained drives to take off as much time as you could because you knew if you were going to end up with points Steelers weren't going to be able to come back that was the type of game it was so it'll be interesting to see what it looks like next week versus Kansas City when you need some points yeah they were able to have the ball seven minutes more than Pittsburgh but to me, this game all came down to turnovers, which I know yes. I just said yep. was annoying to talk about with Josh Allen. But the biggest thing that we said going into this game was if the Steelers were going to be able to Can't stay in yourself. it, they needed to force turnovers in order to be in the game. And they got the one big block field goal and that almost turned the entire game around. But the Bills turnovers that they were able to earn, not only to put points on the board, but even Elam. I mean, the Steelers were driving there. Obviously, they were in the red zone and Elam was able to steal it out of the end zone. So. You know, if they were able to, if the Steelers were able to put up points in that moment and you don't give the ball right back to the Bills and then the Bills put up seven points, that's a, you know, 14 point swing in that moment. And that's a huge point in the game. So the biggest thing to me was the the turnovers between the two teams. The Bills had them, the Steelers didn't, and the Bills were able to capitalize on the turnovers they earned. And even that challenge, I don't know, it was very close and a very tough call as like in a playoff situation, it was very close. I thought that he was able to recover the fumble inbounds, even with the challenge. I thought it looked good, but I, I guess as a ref standpoint with it being not called that on the field, it would have been pretty hard to overturn. It was very close. So I get them not calling that, but even if that would have been another turnover by the bills, it was just really the, the turnovers and the points off of those turnovers by the offense is what really swung the entire game. Yeah, I mean, two turnovers by Pittsburgh and none by Buffalo besides, the you know, the block field goal, but two penalties for Buffalo as well. There was the one by Elam, the, the pass interference, which blatant, brutal. obvious. I, I hate it when <laughs> you, you it is blatant and obvious and then the defender throws it. What did I do wrong? You, you had your hand inside of his, you know, shirt. It, it was, of you course, going to be called. Right. But I, I, I thought that they played very smart football. Besides the one block field goal, which is going to happen. I mean, it was one heck of a block to make it go all the way back to the 31. It was unbelievable. It just kept rolling back. But it was smart football. I think Sean McDermott was still aggressive when he needed to. He went for another fourth down in his own territory. You were asking me last show, hey, is Sean McDermott going to still be aggressive? I said it kind of depends on the situation. And he went for it when he needed to. And I I thought Sean McDermott coached another great, great game. And he's six and zero since that article dropped. So I mean, I think I was on Talking Buffalo that it said if that you know if that article is the reason that the Buffalo Bills finally break the drought, uh, Tyler Dunn has to have a statue built for him, and that's still a possibility. But I don't really have a ton more to this game. I think you know the secondary pieces stepping up is huge. The injuries are huge. It'll be very interesting. The biggest concern, and we can kind of look forward just a bit here before we dive into the other playoff matchups that happen for me is the lack of ability to get to the quarterback needs to be more emphasized versus Kansas city, especially if what sounds like I, I would highly doubt if, if Bernard's going to be back next game and Matt Milano's not coming out of you know nowhere to come practice specter, who knows, but you're probably going to be relying on a combination of Dotson If he's back AJ Klein and, and Dorian Williams as your linebacker core, and that's going to be exposed. So and especially if Douglas isn't back and Teron Johnson, if these, you know, linebackers and DBs injuries continue ugly. to stack up, you're going to have to pressure Patrick Mahomes because you know, he's going to just pick apart the middle of the field with Travis Kelsey. And I know Travis Kelsey has not looked the same this year, but he's still a deadly player. And they're going to excel and pick apart the middle of the field if you can't get pressure on the quarterback. One sack on Mason Rudolph is not enough. They need to be able to pressure the quarterback to have any kind of success looking forward to next week. And I know I said I wasn't going to look forward, but you know we're kind of talking the end of this game. So just a quick sneak peek of what I think they need to improve on next week. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll save the rest of that for our next episode, and hopefully, we get some updates by then. We can understand a little bit more of what we're looking at as far as who might be playing. But the injuries to the defense it will be potentially very badly exposed uh, next week if they don't get anybody back or. I don't know, sign somebody off of uh, <laughs> that's just randomly sitting out there in free agency waiting for something. I don't know. It's going to be very scary. Like if, if all the injuries 
that accumulated today, uh, plus all the ones they went into this game with. If nobody comes back, that's going to be scary. It's going to be very scary to go up against. Even if Kansas City's offense is struggling, it still has all the pieces that they need to make a defense that's on its beyond bench warmers uh, pay a little bit. So could get very dicey very quickly, but overall, really good win. Uh, exciting win. Got a little bit too exciting toward the end, but good win. Way to get it out of the way. It looked like the Bills fans were having a ton of fun throwing snow all over the place. Looked like a, a good time to be out there, but I mean, overall, just you, you got the win. You got through it kind of-ish. Uh, you didn't get through it healthy at all, but at least your offense is healthy, so that's that's good. Yeah, what they say about playoff football it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as you're on the, the the side that gets the W. That's the thing that really matters. Although I think most times you're saying that getting through the game healthy, even if it's a very ugly win, uh, losing four yeah. <laughs> very important pieces on that side of the defense and seeing what happens to Sean Martin or Sam Martin, who's actually been playing very well of late. Um, It'll be very interesting to see how this next week transpires on a shorter week as well, because their next game, like we said, 630 Sunday night. That means our recording is going to be pushed for a third straight week. Um, uh, our Monday show will be out on Tuesday next week. Yeah, we're going to try to plug that early. Um, we had to make a quick change over the weekend when we found out that their game got moved. That's why this is coming out on Tuesday. But next week, it is official. Our Monday show will be out on Tuesday. So we'll look uh, backwards, I should say, against the playoff matchups that already happened. Houston, uh, Joe Flacco uh, disappeared and turned back into a pumpkin. Uh, Houston, 45-14 to 14 win. They advance. They're facing the Ravens next Saturday. Miami, uh, you wished it was colder, and it was, and holy cow, you got the snot beat out of you, the snot that was sitting on your upper lip because uh, real gross, real cold. Kansas City, 26-7 win. Kansas City, like I said, comes to Buffalo. Green Bay versus Dallas. I was wrong. Dallas also joins Joe Flacco turning into a pumpkin. Green Bay, 48-32 win. And then good for Detroit Lions. I was wrong in this one. Happened to be wrong because I was rooting for Detroit. 24-23 to win. Moving on. And, uh, yeah, Miami, or I'm sorry, uh, Philly and Tampa Bay, they're playing right now as we're recording. But huge, huge wins that were, that happened before the Bills game took place. Yeah, Green Bay over... Dallas, I mean, Dallas fans, uh, I just, I don't, I don't know what you do with that team anymore. <laughs> I mean, one of my, uh, one of my friends, Rich, who listens to our show, he was kind of mentioning that the playoff fakes, uh, have been booted from the playoffs and that would be Miami and Dallas, both teams that looked good on paper because their records are really good, but at the same time, they didn't beat anybody who was good throughout the entire year and they were exposed in the playoffs when they had to go up against good competition and, you know, a tough playoff atmosphere. And they both got, I mean, Dallas, I just, I just don't get you're at home. Green Bay is okay. I wouldn't consider them like a massive threat to a Dallas team that looks like a pretty complete team, especially their defense. I mean, offense, whatever their defense is supposed to be one of the best in the league. And you let Jordan love put up 48. I mean, that I just I just don't get that one. The Detroit game, like you said, uh, good for Detroit. Happy for them. Happy that they were able to beat the Rams. That was a very fun game, very back and forth early on, and then kind of got clamped in the second half. But it was a very exciting game. And then Houston, my goodness, did not really see that coming the way it ended up happening. I mean, Cleveland, again, supposed to have one of the better defenses in the entire league. Houston did not really need all that much to demolish them, and uh, they looked good doing it. They're going to be an interesting team. I, I think they might be able to give the Ravens a little bit of a run. I don't know if they'll be able to win, but I think it'll be a good game and kind of an exciting one to watch. Yeah, a lot of good football coming ahead next weekend. So we will turn the clocks uh, backwards once again for the Buffalo Bandits here, the team that usually starts off the show on these Monday shows to talk about the game, but we had to switch it up because it was fresh in our minds, the Buffalo Bills, so we had them lead off. So we'll talk about the Buffalo Bandits here. Another big win, Buffalo 15-13 to win over Rochester in Rochester. Kluch and Byrne both scored three. Nanakoke and Frazier had two, and then McKay, Dylan Robinson, Brandon Robinson, Nick Weiss, and Kyle Buchanan had one each. Mad Vince, 52 saves. Shots were 64 to 63 in favor of Rochester. And uh, once again, for uh, Mike P out there, uh, faceoffs matter when they do. 
and uh, they didn't matter much in this game. Rochester 24 to eight, and uh, I'll talk about Ian McKay's role on the faceoff dot in a bit. But Phil, what's your instant reaction for the 15 to 13 win for the Bandits? And by instant, you mean very delayed? Uh, delayed, yeah, but instant reaction based on what I just said. Oh, okay. Um, there you go. I, I thought it was a fun game, for sure. It was a very similar, I mean, a little more back and forth, but similar to the Bills game and the fact that the first quarter was just a onslaught explosion by both offenses, and then everything kind of quieted down and settled in, and then the second half was weird and boring. I mean... For sure, exciting for the Bandits because they won and then they got that really nice run in the second half. But I mean, the third quarter, they were completely shut out. And the only two goals that Rochester scored, I believe, were both power play goals in the third quarter. And then just one by them in the fourth and five by the Bandits to take over and win it. So a weird, weird game in the fact that it started just extremely fast in the first quarter. And then even the entire first half, I mean, 10-10. Not something I would have expected the Bandits to give up, something we kind of expected the Nighthawks to possibly give up. At the same time, Nighthawks have arguably one of, if not the best offense, at least what they're showing right now, still haven't scored under 13 goals the entire season, which is insane. So they have one of the best offenses out there, and we knew their defense and goaltending was a little bit shaky, but that's kind of how it ended up playing out. I just didn't expect it to play out so quickly in the first half, and then things really settled down in the second half. But I thought... Overall, the Bandits in the second half settled in nicely, even in the first, to be able to stay with it. I mean, it was weird how they went up pretty early, and then Rochester, I think, scored, what was it? What they got? Five of the last six goals in the first quarter, all within about five minutes. So they really just poured it on really quickly at the end of the first to take that 7-5 lead. But overall, a few shaky things here and there, a few things that we can dive into that I'd like them to kind of change up and switch a little bit. But overall, I mean, you knew it was going to be a pretty high-scoring battle between these two teams. You came out with the victory. And, I mean, for the Bands to put up 15 in their offense to be able to do that looked really good. And then the defense and Vince just shutting down Rochester completely in the second half was huge. Yeah, the first half was very... Uh, fun to watch if you take off your bias hat for Buffalo Bandits. Yeah. I mean, 10-10 the first half? Yeah, it was right. a very high-flying game. After the first half, you know, it was projected to have 41-goal outcome to 20-20, and 20, and then whoever wins it in overtime. It was one of those games where it's it, you see the, the power of Rochester's offense, and you see how good they are. I mean, they're the number one offense based on averages, goal scoring per game in the league for a reason. And you see the talent that they had, even secondary scoring, like Kyle waters was pouring it on it. And I'm watching it and I'm like, Phil, I know we talked about this on the show where you can't give the team that much space. And it seemed like the first half, I don't know what was going on, but the defense was just backing off. Like they were giving those shooters like Kyle waters and Ryan Smith was killing them in counterfield. It seemed, it almost seemed like, I won't even mention Connor Fields because it seemed like they were more shadowing Connor Fields. And then when he didn't have the ball, they were playing so far off the other players to focus so much on Connor Fields, not to kill him, that it it affected them so much. I mean, Connor Fields had 15 shots on goal, two goals. But on the other side, Kyle Waters, 11 shots, four goals. Ryan Smith shot 40%, four goals on 10 shots. It, 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 It was very frustrating the first half because, yes, the offense was looking really good. I mean... They they were they were hanging with them. They built out that four to three lead. Yes, Rochester went on that five goal run between the first and the second, but then three straight for Buffalo Bandits, and it ended up being tied ten to end at, at, at half. So the, you're feeling really good about the offense. You just went into half, and I think we tweeted out we went. This defense has to tighten it up. Matt Vince wasn't playing his strongest to bail out his defense, but this defense was just allowing way too many wide open opportunities for their offense, for Rochester's offense, and they were just getting killed. But something switched in the second half. Yes, there was a five-minute major on Cam Wires. You can't be doing that. I, I thought it probably should have been reduced because it didn't look as bad as it did on the replay, but whatever, you can't cross-check him in the head. But I thought once the second half hit, the defense and Matt Vince locked it down. I mean, the two goals in the in the, in the the third quarter on the power play, and then you were able to shut them down and let the offense do their work. Where their their thirteenth goal, third or third third in the second half and thirteenth final goal happened with three minutes and thirty one seconds to go. 
It was something switched in the second half. I don't know what happened in the third quarter where after I mentioned the third quarter so big for the Buffalo Bandits, they go out and don't score at all. (laughs) But their defense and Mad Vince shut it down in the second half, giving their opportunity to the offense to score five straight in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I thought Vince actually had a pretty good game. I mean, a lot of the goals. One or two he wants back, but otherwise, yes. For sure. I thought, yeah, literally, I think I have about two that were on him for the most part it was on the defense just allowing like you exactly what you said in the first half they just allowed the players mainly waters and even smith occasionally to just walk in and keep inching in closer and closer and closer and closer then just kind of pick their angle and rifle it past vince and you could tell vince was getting upset about it he like there's a few times he was like you know why is nobody challenging this guy who you're just letting walk all the way in and then just rip a shot i mean there's only so much Vince can do when they're allowing that much time and space and just freedom for the shooter to really take that opportunity. And Ryan Smith is just incredible uh, of He's a player. Filthy. If he is like, if there was one player on Rochester that I would want for the Bandits, it would absolutely be him. He is. Really, really good at uh, playing lacrosse, and he's also he seems like a very humble player. Like he he gets a little excited when he scores, but he never gets like overly fired up or amped. He just seems like he goes out there, puts up nine points, and then quietly just goes about his business. But he seems like a uh, a great player. Would love the bands to have him so at some point. But like you mentioned, the second half adjustments. They, I mean, even Vince alone in the second half, the amount of massive saves he made. The one-on-one opportunities that were given still by the defense that he showed up and just stuffed them. And I don't know, Vince overall, like you said, one or two back for sure. But out of the 13 goal performance, I thought he made a lot of massive saves and honestly played really, really good despite allowing 13 goals. Like I feel like you see 13 goals. And if you don't didn't watch the game, you're like, oh, Vince must have had a bad game. Or the defense did. But I honestly thought Vince played pretty well given everything that was thrown at him. But the offense... I liked it, obviously, quite a bit what they were able to do. I don't know. Smith is still worrying me a little bit with his zero goals. I know his assists are kind of what he has switched into, which is perfectly fine. If he's going to put up six assists a game and they put up 15 goals and they win the game, I don't really care what he's doing outside of that. But seven shots, no goals, still something off there. It just, I don't, I can't believe that he's lost all his shooting ability, you know, over the last couple of seasons because he switched to being an assist guy. He's still an incredible lacrosse player, someone who still scores or should still score a lot of goals, at least 20 to 30 a season. So I don't know. His funk seems weird. He just seems off this season as far as goal scoring goes. But the other one that I'd like to just see, I don't know if it, it needs to be his utilization or how he's playing again, or maybe just how the team is using him. But Nanakoke is too talented, I feel like, to not, be scoring more, not be involved more. I mean, two goals is great, and the way he scores them is great, and just everything he does out there, he shows an enormous amount of talent every single game, but he only had two points, just the two goals, no assists. Like, I feel like the system of the pick and roll that we mentioned from, what, two years ago now that him and Smith were running pretty much on a game-by-game basis that was working extremely well, either getting Nanakoke open or getting Smith open, finding one of them with some pick-and-roll ability, like, that right side, I mentioned it in a while ago now, but the right side does not seem to work that well together. And this, I don't know, like, I don't mean that this to sound super negative, but like the left side, we know what Brandon Robinson does. He sets the picks. Cloutier and Burns seem to work off each other pretty well, and they just have kind of a better system. The right side between Fraser and Nanakoke and Smith, I think Buchanan does a good job kind of feeding off of everybody being that just electric uh, water bug and spark out there. And he's just always flying around everywhere. But the big three over there just don't seem to play seamlessly around each other. I feel like they just need to find better ways to create chances for each other. I just don't feel like they do it consistently enough where a lot of it's still like Nanakoke, Fraser and Smith all seem to do everything solo on that side of the field. Whereas on the left side, they seem to, really like work hard for each other, set picks, set lanes and make it all kind of happen. And then the right side just seems like they just randomly kind of take it upon themselves to take on six guys and try to score. And sometimes they do. I mean, in this game, Fraser and Anacoke each ended up with two goals. So they definitely make it work at times, but I feel they just need to find a better way to play off each other. Like the left side of the offense does. So a lot there. I I completely (laughs) agree with the, the Dane Smith, uh, Anacoke, uh, 
give and go. I, I was going to mention that if you didn't, so that's that's perfect. I think that's something that they got to bring back out of their back pocket. Dane Smith's goal scoring, I mentioned that. Uh, I looked more into it. He is currently 46th in the NL on goal, uh, shots on goal, and uh, he's at 33. He is tied right now with Connor Kiernan. He's behind Jesse King. He's behind Travis Longboat. He's behind Ben back or uh, in front of Joe McIntosh. But he's behind guys like uh, Ryan Lanchberry, who's got six on the year, but he's got 35 goals. Dane Doby, who is becoming more of an assist guy in his older age as well, but seven goals and 35 shots. So it's it, I am less concerned seeing that number where he's just not putting up the same amount of shots on goal as he used to. I mean, if you want to look at the Buffalo Bandits, uh, where is uh, – Jeff, or, uh, Josh Brown. He, yeah, Josh Brown is third in the league at 66. So if you right. want to talk about where the shots on goal are coming from, it's Josh Brown. He just said 17 in this game, like you mentioned. But I, I'm I'm less worried about the goal scoring for Dane Smith. I think a lot of it is just due to being unlucky, and the other half is due to trying to get other players involved. Are there times where I wish he would be a little bit more selfish? Yes, but. I would be more concerned if the assist numbers weren't there as well. 30 assists on the year, not truly that worried about it. The next closest is Alex Simmons at 21 and he's got one more game played than, you know, Dane Smith. So not super concerned with the goal scoring. It'll be interesting to see if they need him one year, one week, if he's able to do it. So that'll be the interesting. It's, it's the righties that you mentioned. And I think the biggest thing that you can see that the lefties have that the righties don't have is they have a Brandon Robinson for the lefties that are able to create the, the lanes the, the righties just don't like Kyle Buchanan is a water bug that that speedster out there that's going to dunk the goals behind the net and come up with big loose balls. You got the Nanakoku who can take the hits and get an inside. Chase Frazier has the laser of a shot. And then you got Dane Smith, who's the playmaker. They don't really have a bully for the righties that are out there. Their main role is to cause havoc and set picks and stuff like that. You got four guys that don't have that they have the ability to set the picks, but they don't have the ability to set the lanes like a brand McCauley or a brand Robinson do for the lefties. So I think that's another aspect of the righties that they have to overcome because the lefties get the benefit of a guy who's out there almost every shift setting those picks. So that would be my biggest thought on it because they just simply don't have that type of player for the righties that the lefties do. Yeah, I mean, even Cloutier, though, like he's also a player that does a really nice job setting picks for bigger body burn. too. Right. So I think like, again, I, I I don't know how to best utilize Nanakoke because he does do everything really, really well. He takes outside shots sometimes incredible. He takes on three players by himself and scores while, you know, falling on the ground and just does an incredible job there. But I think on the right side, he's the closest they have to that lane setting bully. And I, I don't know. And again, that kind of went back to the pick and roll that they used to do. Like he would. I was set just going to say that I think that's how you like, get right. what you're looking for. Is that like pick he used and roll to set those you, lanes yep. and then spin yep. off of that. Dane would feed him as the guy stepped up to him, and then he would get a wide open opportunity right in front of the net, and he's incredibly talented. And he would bury it, and they just seem like they've gone. I don't know, so far away from that idea and that strategy. And again, it just seems like everyone on the right side now is solo. Like they all just are playing by themselves. I mean, yes, they still, obviously, again, Smith has six assists. I'm not trying to say that like they're selfish and they only play, but they don't seem to play off each other nearly as well as the left side does. They feed the left side very well and they can set up other players on their team, but they just don't seem to feed off of each other all that well. And I mean, you just put up 15 goals. So overall, as a team, I'm not worried about it. I just feel like they could be doing a better job on the right side as a group. I mean, unlocking all of them, like every single one of them should be scoring more than they are. I mean, in this game, you had Byrne with three and Cloutier with three. Like you said, that's six goals all from the left side. And even, I mean, Cloutier, <laughs> put this in my article, he had three goals on four shots. That is incredible. I don't know how you put up those kind of numbers. Uh, it's it's really impressive to pull something like that off. But again, they just seem to feed off of each other so much more. And again, like you said, Josh putting up 17 shots. Yeah, I would hope he's going to get at some point three goals. And he usually this year at least has been averaging three goals a game. So that's expected. But I don't know. I just wish the right side would find a way to play off each other a little bit more. And it might be I just simply want Nanakoke and Dane to go back to pick and rolls because they were doing it so well. And even if teams start to capitalize on that, then it gives Dane the opportunity to just take a wide open, you know, far shot that he knows he can do. So 
I don't know. I think for the offense putting up 15 goals, we're I'm being a little too critical, but it's just something I would like to see them switch up a little bit more as they move forward. Yeah, I don't even think it's a critical thing. I think it's more looking how to add another element to unlock the Dane Smith goal scoring that I know is still in him. And I think that's the biggest thing that you're looking for. And that's the biggest thing that I'm looking for as well is Dane Smith, 33 points in the year, but three of those are set, or, uh, goals. I think and, the and you're kinda... thing that worries me about that is like, at what point do teams stop caring about him scoring? Like, right. like right, right now, everybody that's... still keys in on him as a massive goal scoring threat, which he is. And I still believe that he has that in him. But until he can prove it to other teams, at what point do they stop? going after him quite as hard and just kind of let him shoot and take away all of his assist ability and go after all of the passes and just kind of lay off him a little bit more until he can prove that he can put up three, four goals again, because that was one of the biggest things with his assists is that he also had the incredible threat of scoring 30 plus goals a year. So you still had to respect that this year so far teams are, I wonder if teams are going to learn that so far this year, they don't have to, respect his goal scoring ability. And again, they'll just go one-on-one against him and say, try to find that pass, but take away all those passing opportunities. I don't know. Like he, he needs to start finding the back of the net to continue to find those assist lanes that he has been doing so well with. Yeah. That might be honestly what he's just waiting for is he's more just taking what the defense is giving him and they're still giving him the, the ability to, you know, make that pass. Pass So make it work. Right. Right. So I, Like I said, I'm not super worried about the lack of goal scoring from Dane Smith. Again, if the if the numbers, the assist numbers were coming down, right? He's still like top of the league, and yeah, I'm not really like concerned about him, but it's just something of note. And I think the biggest thing, and I think we were calling for last week or last year as well, is that pick and roll with Tohoku Nanako has just disappeared. It was so good in his rookie year, and then it's kind of gone away from that. They've kind of been it'll be interesting to see because Dane Smith was always looking for Brad McCulley for that quick one time or the quick stick over there. Now that McCulley, sorry, McCulley is out the door. It'll be interesting to see if they, maybe that's the way that he wants to roll with it now is, you know, the pick and roll. There you go. So a little bit of a uh, play on words there, but yeah, the, the only other thing I want to talk about in this game, and it kind of is a, culmination of the five games total so far if you want to call it four because they were switching up who was really taking the faceoffs in the albany game but ian mckay i have absolutely loved what i've seen from him at the faceoff dot and yes he's sitting at like 30 percent faceoff wins i don't care i i honestly do not give two farts if he is winning any faceoffs in the dot he came up huge when he needed to in the Georgia game. He won both of those ones to give Buffalo Bandits a chance. Those are the times when faceoffs matter. What he is doing in that faceoff dot, and he has said it multiple times, it's, I don't care if I win. I'm not looking to win the faceoff. I'm looking to cause havoc and have them turn over the ball. This is when I say faceoffs matter when they do because there was one time where Joe Post won it clean. He got the ball clean. They knocked the ball loose. He ended up kicking it, and Buffalo went down to score. Those are the times where I'm saying that, you know, you can have all these flashy numbers. Rochester won 24 of the 32 faceoffs. Guess what? You lost by two. That's what I mean by he is, he, he might not be looking to win those faceoffs, but he's looking to cause havoc and turn over the ball and get those loose balls. And that is what he's been doing great is if he knows that they're get the clamp quick, he is beating the heck out of that stick to try to cause the ball to get loose. And he was doing that so often in this game versus Rochester against Joe Post. And that's what I've been saying. And that's why we've been preaching on the show. Just because you're winning the faceoffs, it's what happens the immediately seconds after winning that faceoff. If they win it clean, are you allowing them to have that breakaway? Yes, they did it in um, who they faced last week, Phil. Why am I blanking on who they faced last week? Buffalo. Um God, it was Colorado, the Tim Edwards one. That was one of the only times where I've seen them win it and then play it horribly after that, where where Tim Edwards went down and scored and then they pushed him into Matt Matt Vince and there was a whole scrum after. But how many times in this game did you see Joe Post win it clean and have the opportunity to start a rush on the other end? You don't see it because of their system in play. That's why I don't care what the faceoff numbers look like. Yeah, he's done a really, really nice job of exactly what you said. And once again, 
with faceoffs not mattering to us unless they do. I mean, they had 16 more faceoffs that they won, and they had one more shot on goal than the Bandits. Like, that's the thing. Like, until you have facts or concrete evidence that winning more faceoffs lines up with more opportunities, like, in theory, sure, it should. In theory, you have 16 more possessions, but, but according <laughs> to the shots on goal, it does not. I mean, they should have 16, at least 16 more shots on goal than the Bandits, if you want to put it that way, because of their face-off advantage. But they do not. They had one more shot on goal, and they honestly, they had three extra power plays that the Bandits didn't. So that's honestly where most of those extra shots on goal probably came from. Not the face-off wins, but exactly what you said McKay's doing, what Adler would do when Adler wasn't winning a face-off. When Adler was going up against a guy who he knew was going to beat him, he often just kind of caused a scrum and found a way for them not to win it cleanly. That's exactly what McKay's doing. And that's, I think, the advantage, again, of having McKay not only take faceoffs, but he's a very good defender. So not only if he loses it, is he out there, but he knows how to get the ball away from the player. The second he wins it, he can just go chase that guy down. Okay, now it's a one-on-one with him and one of the best defenders in the game, and he will just still make it uncomfortable for you to win that faceoff. They are not winning them cleanly. And as much as I know a lot of people are calling for Adler to be back, including McKay, he would love to not take faceoffs if he didn't have to. I think McKay is doing an incredible job, and I honestly really like him in that position for a lot of reasons. And until we see a different reason why somebody else should be there or Adler comes back, but right now I think he's doing a really good job, and I would love to see him there the rest of the year. Yeah, a little pat on the back to us because we've been we we were calling for Max or I'm sorry Ian McKay to take all the faceoffs after that first Albany game. We just hey, felt listen. that he was looking better at the faceoff dot, and that's the kind of the route they've been going. But credit to the offense, credit to the defense, credit to everything. Only one player didn't have a point in this one that actually played out in the field, and Justin Robinson was coming back, and he's not a penalty kill guy, so they were kind of working him in, and he wasn't on the field as much as a lot of these other players. But everybody else had at least one point in this game. A lot of guys with multiple point games Matt Vance shout out to him 52 saves played unbelievable like I said the the change from the first half to the second half was unbelievable you're kind of looking at the stat sheet here and it's filling up my entire screen just for the first half and then the second half is just (laughs) bandit 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 right in a row so another huge game uh you're facing Rochester twice so to get the first one out of the way especially when it was on the road Massive game to try to at least jump ahead of them in the standings. I know it's very, very early, but a, a huge win this early in the season. So, Phil, is there anything else you want to talk about this game before we go into the milestone section? Uh, just kind of looking forward a smidge for them. Did you see their upcoming schedule? Uh, I know they got New York on Friday. Yeah, after that, it's gross. So this team, I mean, they're 3-2, and two, and I know I feel like they've been given a little bit of flack for being that but right now so you just played the firewolves who are undefeated you played the seals and you beat them who are a good team you played georgia who's at the top of the league and is a good team you played colorado who is arguably the worst team you played and then the nighthawks are a good team then you have the riptide which are honestly a must-win game because you have to keep winning but then you have the rock the nighthawks the thunderbirds and the firewolves and then your next four games just a pretty much just a, a gauntlet of teams that you are having to face all in a row, like their entire start of their schedule, other than Colorado and New York, this entire like first half is just brutal for what they are having to do. So if they can continue to weather the storm and find a way to get to that Albany game looking really good. I mean, that Albany game's home. That might end up being a huge game, only five games away. Obviously, they have a, a long way to go until then with the Rock and Nighthawks again and Thunderbirds. But they just have a really, really big schedule coming up, which, I mean, is what happens in this league in general, but they're just getting no breaks with the schedule that they have coming up other than a Riptide team who is actually, I think, still playing better than it looks on paper, but it's already going to be a must-win game because you just have to keep putting wins on the board. I love the unified standings, Phil. That's all It's I a lot say. of fun. It's so much fun. So we'll look ahead to the, or look back again. I keep messing the, those <laughs> words up, Phil. I'm not an English major. Look back at the milestones that happened and took place and were accomplished on Saturday night. Matt Vince did tie Derek Sundance for fourth place in NLL history. He also 
got 150 wins for his uh, career. Unbelievable accomplishment. He also passed 15,000 minutes for his career. So, man, Vince, uh, thank you. Salute to you. I don't have to say those on the episodes anymore. Teo Kananico passed 100 points for his career. Nick Weiss tied Chris White for eighth place in games played. Chase Frazier tied Roger, Roger Vice for goals in Buffalo Bandits history. Josh Byrne tied Rich Kilgore for fourth place in Buffalo Bandits history and assists. And Dane Smith did tie Mark Stainhouse in points, second place, Buffalo Bandits history. Some major, major accomplishments. Out of all the ones that happened, uh, I think only two did not, and two of them were really, really close. I mean, the more milestones they knock off for you, the the better. The less I got to say until uh, other players get closer and closer That's and then true. those build up. But some of but them Matt are Vince, uh, hitting milestones that goodness. they can't surpass anymore because uh, the, the gap is just so massive after that. Like Dane Smith, uh, he's not close to catching Johnny T in points yet. <laughs> just, uh, just a little he's bit. smidge away. Smidge a little away. far away. And then... Vince just continues to break his own records uh, pretty soon. I mean, I mean, just the the one fifty, like you said, already an NLL record. His fifteen thousand minutes, which is ridiculous, already an NLL record. So he just keeps piling on his own stats. Yeah, uh, filthy man, Vince. Thanks for coming to Buffalo. Uh, Halifax, thanks for taking Rochester because that's pretty much the only reason that Matt Vince ended up in Buffalo because uh, he didn't want to travel to Halifax. So uh, shout out to you. But we'll look across the lacrosse league now because unified standings, all these games matter. Toronto and Halifax, love that game. Toronto won 11-9 to over Halifax. Uh, San Diego versus uh, Las Vegas, Friday night. Major upset. Vegas won 10-8 to over San Diego. Travel to Friday or Saturday night. Uh, Saskatchewan versus Philly, that was postponed because of the weather, so you won't hear any stats on that. Panther City won in New York for uh, 14-12. Albany versus Georgia, monster, monster matchup. Albany just keeps winning, 12-8. San Diego, second game of the weekend. They won in Colorado, 12-8. And then the uh, matchup everybody was waiting for because Kurt Malowski was back. Uh, facing his old team in Calgary. Calgary pushed it on him, 14-7. to So, Phil, any games you want to talk about in those? I mean, even the, the Calgary one, I think, is important for Calgary. I think they are a team that should be better than what they were playing as. I know Vancouver's not exactly the strongest team that we expected this year, but I think still they're a team that can go on a run if they can get back into this season. Obviously, it's extremely early, but they're a team that needs to get some wins going. Toronto, uh, I, I just wanted, I didn't want them to win, but they, they won. It was a close one. It was interesting with it being so close. And like you said, Halifax never led, but still interesting that it was close. But I mean, Toronto just keeps winning, which is a bit of a bummer. And then that Albany-Georgia game. I mean, I think the biggest thing to me out of that game is the Albany defense more than anything. I mean, we know what their offense can do. They continue to put up points, but... Georgia, we, I think, would assume both agree that they have an incredible offense. I mean, the Bandits have seen it. I know the Bandits held them to only nine, so the Bandits did a good job as well. But for Albany's defense and Jameson to hold them to only, I mean, Jameson, 36 saves and then only eight goals, I think is just another staple of that team putting everything together and really getting more complete wins rather than just offensive victories. I think their defense is starting to get a little bit more respect, especially after a game like that. So I'll run through these really quick. Toronto taking down Halifax. Toronto's offense isn't fully there yet, but Tom Schreiber is working his way back, and that defense is just terrifying with Rose and Nett. So Halifax is slowly falling back. I think three straight losses for them now. San Diego, big loss in Las Vegas. I'm not saying Las Vegas is anywhere near ready to make a run, but Hannah actually looked good. Four straight goals for him in this game. He When he's scoring, Las Vegas is a different team, and then Kells was great in net it just seemed like it was a down game for san diego in the offense uh, uh panther city finally getting some goals 14 i think that was the most of their season so far because you got you know secondary scoring besides just crawford who had three three and six knox scored four donville scored three uh, demood was great in that again jeff teat four two and six but new york just doesn't have enough right now on their plate to you know pull out any games out albany and georgia were able to chase dobson in the third quarter uh pretty good uh albany just keeps winning uh in the bsc picks um i'm gonna do everybody a favor i'm gonna pick albany to win because i've picked against them all six times they faced and they've been six and oh so this week sneak peek i'm uh i'm picking albany so hopefully that makes them lose a game but yeah offense for georgia they're filthy but it's just not enough depth scoring lyle three 
Q1 Jackson zero when the top three top guys heavy, for yeah. their team are not scoring you're not scoring that's the second time we've seen this out of Georgia put under 10 goals because their top scorers are not scoring San Diego you know big victory in Colorado game was never tied after 0-0 you know the, the San Diego's offense came back in this one and Colorado uh, you're digging yourself a big hole if you think you're going to be able to dig yourself out this year and unified San it's going to be very tough and then Calgary offense finally getting going another game that wasn't tied anywhere near after 0-0 Calgary 5-0 in the second quarter the Del Bianco 48 saves Cook five goals Courier three goals King three goals Calgary is finally getting the offense that can back up the defense so it's going to be a fun fun rest of the season and we're only what middle of January can you guess how many teams are under 500 right now uh, six. Uh, eight. <laughs> I was gonna say seven, so I would have been closer. Eight Still teams not right, are closer. under five hundred, and then Calgary sitting two and two, and then it's uh three and two and up from there. That is crazy. I, I did not. There's four teams in the entire league still with only one win. Vancouver, New York, Colorado, and the Rush all have only one win so far in the season. Three of those teams are one four. Like you mentioned about digging a deep hole, but I mean, with a lot of these teams still under 500, especially when your top eight make it and some of those are under 500, you definitely still have a shot. It's still early in the season, but yeah, you don't want to start the season one four. Colorado is the kind of team that can make a run to get back in it, but they, they, they got to start making that run now because <laughs> you don't want to fall any further behind. So we'll talk about and break down the next game, Buffalo versus New York, and that one's always a fun matchup, but New York's coming into town in Bandit land. Uh, Jeff Teat, uh, meet Dalton Silver. Dalton Silver, meet Jeff Teat. <laughs> we'll see a lot of that matchup, but we got three games to talk about for the Buffalo Sabres here. Uh, three or Two wins and one loss. Thursday versus Ottawa, they were playing when we were recording. Like we mentioned, I think it was 3-1 when uh, they were up, and I said, wow, they're going to just blow out Ottawa. They won 5-3. Paterka, Tage had two. Krebs and Cousins were your goal scorers. UPL, 25-28 saves. Shots were 32-28 to in favor of Buffalo. Saturday versus Vancouver, one nothing loss. UPL, 22-23 of 23 save. Shots were 26-23 to 23 in favor of Buffalo. And then Monday, noon, they moved it up an hour because of the Buffalo Bills change of a schedule. Uh three nothing win. Middlestad, Tuck, and Greenway were the goal scorers. UPL twenty seven to twenty seven Sage. Shots were thirty five to twenty seven in favor of Buffalo. I think the biggest thing to talk about of those, I mean, winning two, losing one is exciting. Losing that one and getting shut out. I thought Demko looked really good for Vancouver. The Sabres had a few pretty big opportunities here and there. Wasn't consistent, but they had enough to possibly put one in. But Demko was really good. And then to bounce back with that. And get UPL his own shutout. I thought UPL, though, was the story of these three games. He looked incredible. And the fact that they actually gave him three games in a row and are letting Levi sit and kind of watch the game a little bit more. And especially after Levi, I forgot who they played right before this. Oh, it was the Seattle Kraken where Levi just did not look good. And since then, it's been UPL for three straight and UPLs look great. So... Maybe for once they will actually allow a goalie to go multiple, multiple games in a row and actually let him go on a run rather than this one in, one out kind of nonsense they've been doing all season long, which is pretty annoying. But the biggest thing outside of UPL is the fact that this team just can't really catch a break. I mean, Tage finally starts looking really, really good again, and now he's injured. Skinner. Week to week, the team in general just still can't get on a massive run, which they need more than anything right now. But again, it like it it's still early enough where I don't want to call the season a complete loss. But I mean, no Skinner, no Tage. This team just does not seem like it's going to be their year to really make a push. I mean, they need nothing but consistency and health for pretty much the rest of the season and a huge win streak to get back into it and. They just continue to get injured, continue to find ways to lose games without scoring a single goal. So, I, I mean, this team is still very concerning. They have bright spots here and there, but then things like injuries and just not the best play start to pile up, and the team is just very stale, essentially. They're just stagnant in where they are in the standings. They aren't getting a huge run going. Again, there's sparks of life here and there where they look pretty decent, but overall, they're just kind of chilling in a not very good spot to be standing in. Well, uh, Tage has been playing. I know he got a little nicked up in that game, but you, you were right about Skinner. He's week to week. Samuelson didn't play because he did get hurt. Dallian had a high hit, but he did come back to the game. So it, it is a lot of up and down because of injuries, but I'm not using that as an excuse. Oh, it's not an excuse, uh, no. Right, right. Uh, Ottawa game. 
27 black shots, most in four years. UPL was huge in this one. Going up early was big. First period, 3 nothing. Power play, 1 for 3. Uh, yeah, that was really good. Second one in, in Vancouver, like you said, Demko just stood on his head. Buffalo 0 for 3 on the power play. Samuelson goes out. At one point, they had Gergensen taking a couple shifts back there because they just didn't have anybody playing defense. Good on Eric Johnson to kind of stick up for Darlene and go to his aid and and, and fight JT Miller. Credit to him. Somebody's actually sticking up for the Buffalo Sabres. But Ryan Johnson's still good in that one. And then UPL, great. One and two for the power play. Happy that I, I think I'm with you. I think the biggest story of these three games is you know, besides the two wins, getting four out of six points is huge. It would have been nice to get the Vancouver one, six out of six, but whatever, I'll take two out of two out of three. But UPL, he's been fantastic. I have officially sent in my apology note. I was wrong about UPL. I'm happy he's still a Buffalo Saber, yada, yada, yada. I, I'm I think they got to keep rolling out UPL until the the wheels fall off because in the last five games, he's four and one with a 1.5 goals against and it's 950 save percentage. Those are unbelievable numbers. They're going to fall back to earth. There's no doubt that's going to fall back to earth, but I think the best option moving forward, and this is kind of what we said earlier in the year, is to send Levi back to Rochester because sitting him up here behind UPL, who is playing unbelievable right now, not doing any good for his development. He's still a young kid, 21 years old. He is the future goalie for the Buffalo Sabres still, in my opinion, regardless of how good UPL is doing right now. I think Levi is the go-to guy down the road, but having him be the backup is not doing any good for his development. I would send him back down, see if you can get bring Comrie back up so you can relieve UPL every one out of, what, six games, whatever, like that. Like, but- Ten. <laughs> Honestly, 12. give UPL the net. I'm happy they gave him three straight after Levi struggled in Seattle. But again, Levi is not doing, the Sabres are not doing Levi any justice just having him be here to sit behind UPL, who's playing great. That, that, that would be my biggest next move is just, what is Kevin Adams doing with Levi? It's just, I know you don't want to devoc- block the development, but he's not developing sitting behind UPL not playing. And again, this is not me saying that I want to see Levi be in the starters net. I, I'm saying flat out, I want to see UPL keep getting minutes. But for the development, the future development of UPL, or I'm sorry, Levi, he needs to get games and he's not going to get him at the big league club. Send him down to Rochester where he can get those. And yes, he can dominate Rochester, whatever. He's still getting minutes then. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, I, one of our biggest complaints for a long time with this team has simply been that you don't have a 1A goalie and it isn't necessarily because of talent. It is a little bit, but at the same time, you're not allowing any goalie to play a consistent number of games in a row, which we've seen goalies in the NHL need in order to really settle in and actually play consistent good hockey. You can't just keep doing this one game in, one game out, two games in, one game out. I mean, they just can't get on any kind of rhythm when they're playing that kind of like series. Like you don't see other teams that have true 1A goalies, they have their starter goalie, they don't take them out every other game or every two games just because they want to give them rest. Like You have to let these guys go in there, play every single night, and just see what happens. Like Yes, there's going to be losses, there's going to be the good with the bad, but you have to let these goalies try to be what they're used to being. I mean, like Levi, even as an example, again, I agree with you that he should be developing and not Uh, you know, just the Sabres number one goalie, but just as an example, like when he was in college, he's playing every single game. I know they only play weekends, but still he's playing every single game. Like he's, that's what they're used to. Like they're not used to this one game in one game out kind of system. Like they're used to getting a feel for the game, playing multiple, multiple games in a row. And then, you know, the defense I'm sure also would like to play with the same goalie, understand that that goalie's tendencies are a little different than the other goalie's tendencies. Like, how they pass, how they come out for rebounds, how they just react to things. I'm sure it's confusing to the defense to have to consistently play with a new goalie as well. So I don't know. I'd like to see UPL go, like you said, six games on, one game off, six games on, no matter what happens. Even if they get blown out, just let him continue to play as your goalie. Because so far throughout the entire season, he seems to have proven that he should be the 1A right now at this very moment in time for the Sabres. And they need to just let him take the reins and just kind of live or die with however he does. And the only other negative-ish with this series, yes, you won two, but they were against literally the two worst teams in the entire league. So it's uh, only mildly exciting. I mean, honestly, like the the Vancouver game, only losing that one nothing with a lot of good opportunities. They are one of, are they... 
they're the best team points wise in the entire league and you only lost one nothing and were able to even outshoot them so i mean that game even though they lost looks more impressive than beating up on two of the league's worst so the vancouver game out of those three actually seems more encouraging than just beating up on the two teams but at the same time the Sabres, for a long time, they were struggling even against the bottom teams. So winning at all, I guess, is is a little exciting. Yeah, five more games left before the All-Star break. Two of them on this six-game homestand versus uh, Chicago on Wednesday and then Tampa Bay on Saturday. You need to get four points for both of those. On the West Coast trip, Anaheim, Los Angeles, and San Jose. Those are all gettable games before the, the All-Star break. That, you know, if you can take four, you know, eight out of the 10 points there you can do a good job getting back in this one and it, you know wild card watch real quick they're even in games played with tampa bay who's sitting in the second wild card spot 44 games played, six points pittsburgh's right below them 42 games played 48 points new york 43 games played 48 points new jersey 41 games played 47 points capitals 41 games played 46 points and then buffalo sitting right there 44 games played 42 points so if you can go on some type of roll they're five and three in their last eight games Games. That that those are good numbers, but because you dug Isn't yourself that? such a big hole, it's not going to be good enough. You need to stack wins. They still have two two winning streaks of two games all season, forty four games in. You need to stack wins here in Chicago is the best opportunity to do it without Connor Bedard in the lineup. You can't lose Wednesday night to Chicago. You have to beat them and stack another win. Then there's another two points. Just keep this train rolling. I mean, I am not going on a mean rant today. But you you need to stack some wins together here, and I'm hoping they do that in this game. Uh, uh, coming up, I should say. Yeah, again, like you said, a lot of these upcoming games are winnable. Absolutely. Chicago, then you upset the Lightning, then you have, you know, a bunch of winnable games in a row. So even if you can't beat some of the top teams like the Lightning, I believe the Kings are having a really good season as well. Some of these bottom teams, you just have to continue taking whatever points you can get and then upset as many as you can because you're going to need upsets in order to climb all the way back in but for right now just take whatever wins you can get like you said we'll try to keep this as positive as possible I mean, if they can beat the blackhawks which they should be able to and then steal one against the lightning that is the three game win streak for the first time all year that we are looking for so hopefully they can start with that and we can discuss it on our next show three game win streak it's all we're asking for it's honestly not that much <laughs> Phil, that'll do it for this episode. Is there anything else you want to add before we shut it down for another quick turnaround this week until we record on Friday? Go Bills. Congrats to the Bills Bills. winning again. Not only, I mean, they mentioned it multiple times in the broadcast, winning the AFC East when they only had a 5% chance uh, of winning it at one point in the season. I think it was week 14 it said they had a 5% chance of coming all the way back and winning the East, which they did. And then they won the wildcard game once again. Is this also their, I think, fourth straight year going to yep. divisional yep. round? So yep. congrats to the Bills. They they took care of business, got it done. My goodness, can you just get us one or two defensive players back and healthy, please? Please. They yep. they're gonna they're gonna need it. We we need defense. Yeah, I can uh afford to give them any of my body parts that they need. Yeah, if they um, need something. They're sure. not great, but um, I think we offered they this might last be better than what you got. We right tried, now. Uh, giving up some body parts yeah yeah so we'll, we'll see what happens but on the next show we'll break down the kansas city versus buffalo matchup patrick mahomes first time on the road in his playoff career uh and first time playing in buffalo with fans in the stands that's it, a weird stat <laughs> so but ridiculous. it's true both um, of those are so uh, ridiculous yeah both of those are real ridiculous but that's that's coming up on our next show we'll preview that game we'll preview the buffalo bandits versus the new york riptide who are coming into town on friday night another rare friday night game hate them but it's happening uh sabers one game to talk about the wednesday night game versus chicago get this win please please for the love of god beat chicago and uh like we said reminder next monday show is pushed to tuesday because of the late monday or sunday night game for the buffalo bills versus kansas city so with that thank you all for listening to another episode of the buffalo sports collective follow us on facebook instagram and threads at buffalo sports collective and on x and blue sky at buffalo sports co Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com where you can look for Phil's article that is coming out today on Tuesday. And then my article is coming out on Thursday for the Power Rankings. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye